Good evening. How are you all? Isaac. Oh, who really gives a damn? My name is Isaac Jaffe. I run this place. Anybody else who runs this place, please raise your hand. Good. Alongside Adam Amin, I'm Steve Cimino, and this is Those Stories Plus, the Sports Night Podcast. We have reunited. We're back. Unfortunate somewhat circumstances that we were going to discuss today, and we'll get to that momentarily, but hey! We're back. Hey, buddy. Hey, friend. I feel like it's been, what, approximately three months? It's been approximately that much amount of time, and this is how different life is. (laughs) Twitter now allows 280 characters. You are a homeowner. (laughs) In fact, we're recording this in your brand new home. Well, let's not go so far as to call it brand new. Still, for you, it's brand new. (laughs) But yes, yes. If you haven't seen it, it's new to you. The acoustics, we might sound different because of the acoustics of the room. The acoustics of the room are very intense, and... I've I've gone through an entire relationship. Well, since I last saw you, so we are <laughs> truly different people now. This is we we have a lot to talk about and bring to the table now, which is exciting actually. And we'll try to marry all of it together over the course of uh, this episode, where we discuss the life and the career, specifically how it matters to Aaron Sorkin's work of one Robert Keogh. And I know you said bad timing, which it is, obviously. Uh, but coincidental timing with the next episode on our list, which is Eli's Coming, featuring right. some Isaac Health issues. A little bit of, uh, I guess, life imitating art, imitating life in some capacity. But uh, before we get to Eli's Coming, which is an episode that Steve and I absolutely adore, and I know many of you adore as well, we thought it'd be appropriate if we took an episode to return first off and in the return talk about one Robert Keogh. The beauty of doing podcasts like this is you can always play catch-up, and I feel bad that we've kind of forced people to play a little bit of catch-up. We've been playing a little bit of catch-up. Obviously, we told you about our various life events over the course of uh, the last couple of months, but we really appreciate the fact that our listenership seemingly keeps getting bigger and bigger. The downloads keep coming, and we keep getting more feedback, and we had a lot of people ask us, when are you guys coming back? And obviously, a lot of the extenuating circumstances that Steve and I are going through had a lot to do with our delay, but the fact that you guys care that much and are so interested by this, we can't even begin to explain to you how cool that is, and that is so awesome, and thank you for listening and downloading, and again, you can continue to do so and kind of catch up to us as well, because we're going to keep on rolling after this. It's been really cool to see that that uh, people are still out there listening, and it's nice every once in a while to see a message where someone asks, are you guys coming back? Are you yeah. done? Like, that's like, oh, <laughs> that makes us feel like we're doing it for a reason here, yeah. like... People are listening and enjoying, and I'm enjoying doing it. Yeah, You're we're enjoying doing it. No, this has been this it's, has been uh, awesome. It's, it's been a, nice. It's a nice little outlet for for both of us as uh, we kind of toil through our daily lives, and I'm sure for you guys it's the same same thing. So we really do appreciate you listening, and you can continue to communicate with us on Twitter at those stories pod. You can email us at those stories pod at gmail.com. In fact, we threw it out on Twitter to contribute to this episode. So as the episode goes on. We'll actually take some of the messages and memos that you guys left for us, and we'll try to incorporate those over the course of uh, this episode, where we'll be discussing some of our favorite Isaac Jaffe moments in honor of one Robert Gale. As I went back through some Isaac Jaffe moments and thought about what were my favorites, I was struck by he, more than probably anyone else on the show, covers the whole spectrum of emotions. He's got some of those big long speeches that really tug at the heartstrings he's got a lot of the really short quick lines yeah. that are just funny and his delivery and his reactions and i think he he served the character well because he's sort of the straight man to end all straight men in this office of crazy 
personal drama and relationships. Isaac's just like, we're here to do a show, folks. But he's so parental to all of them that he's able to rib them a little bit and give them a tease and then also sit them down and be like, let me give you some advice, son. And it's just incredible to see the range that he had on the show and as the character. Very sage-like, I would say, I think, as Isaac Jaffe, the, as, as a character. And yeah, I, th- I think you're right. He's a very balanced character. And the fact is, Robert Guillaume is a well-respected actor as well. And he brought, I think, the necessary gravitas to be able to deliver the sentimental and heartwarming and serious speeches that he did over the course of this episode while still being able to have enough of a sense of how to be a foil for the neuroses of everybody else that's around him and clearly can't cope with those things. Right. Uh, you know, this is the classic, he is the voice of reason character on the <laughs> show. Like, that's he's that. He is absolutely that in the heart of this episode, or uh, heart of this series, and I think he probably is the heart of the show. <laughs> as thinking, As I was going through thinking about some of them, some lines that aren't even lines that if I had all day to make a list would be on there are just his dumbfounded reactions to some of the characters that happen <laughs> so when he's just like what are you talking about where he just is completely just stymied by casey being frustrated about something or dan walking into the office and going off on a tangent and just isaac's what the hell are you talking about which is like some of my favorite delivery where he's he's just been out of it and suddenly gets hit with a tidal wave because they know i'm gonna go to isaac with this i can't wait to go talk to isaac about he, what I think you accurately said it in one of our episodes, where you basically called him like the bartender of this bar, and right. everybody comes to him with their problems, expecting them to just kind of be some kind of voice of reason on on and give some kind of perspective on all these weird neurotic problems. Everybody, I, has. I picture most of the characters whenever anything of consequence happens, immediately going, "Well, I gotta go talk. To I Isaac. gotta go talk to Isaac." And I, I picture yeah. way late in the series during the Quo Vadimus episodes when. Uh, I think several people burst into Isaac's office. That's with right. Yes. Like they immediately go in. Oh, it's a it's an Italian airline called Platypus. Like they're all just coming to him, even with nonsense. Like Isaac, I gotta update you. You need to know this. And he just kind of writes it off. And yeah. Goes, okay. He's like, yeah. all right. Yeah. yeah. He's good. like, yeah. he knows how to play the game. He knows when to, to take his hands in and when to just go. I'm gonna let this fizzle out on its own. He really does seem to encompass what's best in us. I think the way this character is written, and I think he's able to blunt some of the worst in people because of that attitude that he has because of that sage-like demeanor that he carries and that gravitas that he has so robert guillaume wasn't born robert guillaume did you know this i didn't until you mentioned it earlier i was like "Ah, i don't want to hear it yet save it for recording (laughs) like i need to hear this and be baffled by what's going on so believe it or not so he was born november the 30th 10 days we're recording this 10 days before what would have been his 90th birthday and Robert Guillaume was born Robert Peter Williams. How on earth <laughs> does one jump from Williams to Guillaume? So he was born Robert Williams, and he ended up studying at St. Louis University and Washington University. Oh, slew. He's United, a slew guy. He was a slew guy, and then he served in the U.S. Army, and then he decided to pursue an acting career, and he adopted the surname Guillaume, which is French for William. Well, now I just as his bummed. stage name. That's amazing. That is an incredible. How, what an appropriate story for him, for how he got his name. I wonder if it was like a union situation, like when Dan was not Daniel <laughs> yeah, on the show. There's, a, there's already another. There was a Daniel Rydell. Another Daniel Rydell in the union, so I go by Dan. This is that's amazing, and that's such a clever little. I, I feel like uh, you hear all the time, like actors use their middle names as their last names, but that's just going like, you know what? 
Let's make it French. <laughs> I like that enough, a lot. I was going to say, ironically enough, you know, going back to the, the genesis of this show, it's based on kind of the workings of Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann. Dan Patrick is not Dan Patrick. His name is Daniel Patrick Pugh. His last name is P-U-G-H. He's gone by Dan Patrick, Patrick being his middle name. So See, exactly fantastic. to your point, uh, that's how his name came about, his state, quote-unquote stage name. Oh, I'm, I, it seems now that he's saying, like, oh, Guillaume is William, like, oh, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, I don't speak French at all, so clearly I wouldn't yeah, have got that, but that's incredible. So I don't, I don't know if I've ever shared this story with you, but I've been asked to change my name before. Whoa. To why? Well, first of all, why? And secondly, has anyone ever given you suggestions? And I'm dying to hear what they are. Yeah, you're right. You're, you're, I, like, I, I hope this is a kind of fitting story. For Please. Me. So when I worked in Iowa, my first full-time job out of college, it's a very small town. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to start this by saying it's a mostly white town. I don't think this has as much to do with it as some people might try to extrapolate from it. But it, I do think it was a small element. And not so much out of fear, just out of... Out of more ignorance than anything else. Right. So the general manager of this radio station that I interviewed at and got the job at is a tremendous boss. She was awesome to work for. But when I got the job, my boss, my future boss, called me and asked, would you be willing to potentially use an on-air name? You know, I was scared because I didn't want to say no right away because I just, this is my first full-time job out of school. Like, I have student loans and bills and I need a job at some point. So I was hesitant to say no. And she said, well, think it over. Uh, we were considering maybe using something just a little bit more friendly on air. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting way to say it. And she suggested the name Adam Kelly. Adam Kelly. Which made my dad laugh. <laughs> Because he goes, you're not Irish. Yeah, don't, you don't scream <laughs> Irish. Like today. that was the natural, uh, you know, assumption he has. My dad's, you know, in his 80s, and he's just like a funny guy like that. <laughs> but he he then looked at me and said, "Listen, like you know, I love you to death, but if you change your name, I'm not going to be very happy about that. I'll probably disown you." Oh. Now, I, I laughed a little bit at that, but it did hit me. I'm like, yeah, I really don't want to go through life not having my name as my name. I want to be me. Like I did. There was just something that hit me in the pit of my stomach Absolutely. about that. So I called my boss back and said listen i'm just not really comfortable with this and immediately to her credit she was like no problem no problem at all do not think a second further about it we don't have to do anything about it people will deal with it and i'm like all right cool and she was she was totally understanding that i felt uncomfortable about that so i never like held it against her and i never even thought about it later on i just think it's a funny story now you know I, i what was that 2009 so you know, almost a decade later, and I've you know I've I've kept my own name, and I, I'm happy. So that far, I have, so good. So yeah. far, so good. So I do think that's a I, I, that just always hit me a little bit using the on-air name. That is great. I always have wondered about if it's been requested that people use a alias and alias, or if they use the different name. I know sometimes it's like a union thing, like a Dan sure. Rydell. I don't know. Sometimes it's just like like in the old days, especially somebody wanted to lose the ethnicity. It you know if there was a prejudice against a particular kind of heritage in yeah, show business. I, mean, well, I know that I mean, was very common at some point as well. Dick Enberg, one of the greatest broadcasters, one of the greatest play-by-play announcers of you know ever in television history, television and radio history. Uh, I read a story once that a station manager asked him to use the last name Breen because I mean I, I hate to say it and it kind of hurts me to say it but he said the name was the name Enberg was quote unquote too Jewish. Yeah. And that was a very similar thing that a lot of 
Jewish announcers, or may, maybe they may not even have been Jewish, but if they had a quote unquote Jewish sounding name, they you know some people are like, well, that's not good for for this for this station for this market. We may not want to use a yeah. name like that. And I I always thought, well, that kind of sucks. I don't think we really would have that issue now. Uh, but some people do use on-air names. I'm not against using on-air names, but I'm just really happy that even though I have an ethnic-sounding last name, people were willing to overlook that, and I really don't think it's much of an issue now anyway. Oh, good. Wow, I had no idea that that yeah, I, I, I was like, wow, this is, this is a perfect time to share that story. I don't think I've ever told that to you before. Jeez. Well, tell me a little bit more about uh, Mr. Robert Williams. <laughs> <laughs> it's so strange to say it that way. So he started uh, performing in Cleveland. He performed in musical comedies and performing in operas. He made his Broadway debut in 1961, and he had various stage appearances. At one point, he was on stage with Sammy Davis Jr. in Golden Boy. He was in Guys and Dolls. He played Nathan Detroit, had a Tony nomination for that. It's one one of his greatest roles. I did see that Josh Molina's kind of RIP tweet had mentioned that he saw him on Broadway in... 1976 I think or whatever that was the it was. first time he ever saw him yeah. before, and then he really got cool. to come full circle and he got to play his employee 20 something years later which is pretty cool yeah that was a really really cool tweet i saw the same thing and i'm uh, i'm blown away by that too as i was looking back through his story which is quite the career yeah, like an outside career. of television which is amazing but you mentioned musical theater and he had also been uh in some musical groups as a singer kind of folk singer called the pilgrims was one of them apparently and I thought it was really interesting reading through that the song, the very amazing song, The Sound of Silence, yeah. Simon and Carfunkel song, was originally kind of pitched for them to maybe be the ones to do it. How incredible is that? <laughs> what could have been? Like, how different the career path would have been? Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping. That's one of those major what-if stories, and it's also just so cool that he's like the most interesting man in the world from the commercials, <laughs> he kinda is, where he's yeah. somehow involved in all this stuff, and like just in the background of these these moments, and could have been right in there in, in such a factor. <laughs> like I would have loved to hear Robert <laughs> be one of several people singing The Sound of Silence. Yeah. Just, it would blow me away. But then as he got into acting, into television, uh, he had some smaller parts, guest appearances on a lot of those kind of milestone television shows, Good Times, Jefferson, Sanford's Son, Saved by the Bell of College Years, apparently. A milestone show, truly. I gotta look really this up because it. I, I and I think you know, love Saved by the Bell. Of course. College Years, no Not one so loves much. the College nobody, Years. Nobody and loves the And there's only, the there's only like 11 episodes of that show, and try as I may... I cannot place him anywhere in any of these. No, not off the top of my head. No, I, can't, I know no. Bob Golick is in there. Bob Golick, obviously, play, yeah, plays he was one their of the RA, right? Yeah, no. yeah, he was the RA. That's right. He was that's the right. RA who came back from school. That's the only trivia I can tell you. He about had really that. long hair in that, if I remember correctly. Yes, and then he tried out for maybe the Dolphins or something <laughs> on the show. I can't really remember, but the, so I've got to got to look that up and see him in there. Uh, also on Fresh Prince of Bel Air and A Different World. So a lot of these seminal African American shows specifically, but also sure. just quality like Golden Age of Television stuff. And then right up into some of those really popular 90s sitcoms as well, which is great. Uh, he was on, of course, Soap, playing Benson the Butler, and then got his own spinoff, which is where I think most people saw him originally there. Uh, fun trivia fact, Jerry Seinfeld was on Benson for like two episodes. What did he do? He was like a delivery boy that had really, <laughs> really bad comedy routines. So he would come in and tell bad jokes and people would be like, get out of here. And then... He just got fired because he showed up one day and there was no script for him and realized, oh, they don't want me anymore. Oh, they just don't need me on this show anymore. <laughs> so I think he was only on two or three times. but <laughs> Outstanding. So he actually had his own show at one point called The Robert Guillaume Show. He 
appeared as a marriage counselor on this show. He was on a show called Pacific Station. And then, of course, in the late 90s, he arrived into our lives in earnest as Isaac Jaffe on Sports Night. And an incredible career and and just a seminal character, I think, in in kind of our lives and the way that shaped how we view the world in a lot of ways just through this particular TV show. I just It's a really cool run up to that. He does have a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame because of his work in the TV industry. Obviously, he has a very extensive resume, whether it's Broadway, whether it's voice acting, which he was very popular. Uh, he was the voice of Rafiki, obviously, in The Lion King. And so maybe probably his most famous. And again, I, I didn't really know that that was him when I first saw The Lion King, but in the you know postscript, when I found out who Robert Guillaume was, I go, oh my god, he was Rafiki, that's incredible. <laughs> so, I, you know, he's been an award winner in terms of voice acting as well, so he's spanned just about every piece of the entertainment industry. Looks like the winds are changing. Ah, change is good. Yeah, but it's not easy. I know what I have to do, but going back means I'll have to face my past. I've been running from it for so long. Ow! Jeez, what was that for? It doesn't matter. It's in the past. (laughs) Yeah, but it still hurts. Oh, yes, the past can't hurt. But the way I see it, you can either run from it or learn from it. It was quite, quite the career. And I remember thinking back to the last year when we began this show, seeing him show up on TMZ that one time I mentioned it, probably second or third episode of this. Yeah. And he he was ill. He was in a wheelchair, but he still just had spirits as they approached him. And it was, first of all, awesome to see that some TMZ reporter was like, hey, let's drop a gill. I <laughs> talk to him. And B, just cool to see him like interacting and, and still just having kind of a lust for life despite having some health troubles towards the end of his life there yeah, he passed away from prostate cancer on october the 24th of this year and he was 89 years old again we're recording this about 10 days before what would have been his 90th birthday i can't believe 90 yeah that's so crazy i still picture him do you picture people like that like kind of stuck in time absolutely especially since he's on this show for two years it's a time capsule of him always being Isaac Jaffe's age. He yeah. never got any older. Which, thinking about it now, if he was going to be 90, he would have been almost like, 70. Like, he would have probably been about 70 or 71 when the show started. I don't know why, but I seriously pictured him like late 50s yeah. on the show. And, and, and again, he's got he's got kind of like a, a classic look about him. He always, and, it, and this is this too, and it happened on Benson, but he was always in a suit. Mm-hmm. I think his guest appearance, I remember on Fresh Prince, he was in a suit. Like, he's a very well-dressed, well-mannered, quiet, confidence type of guy who never seemed to be a casual person. He was always very buttoned up, very professional, whatever it may be. So I kind of always just picture him looking really good. He had that air about it. Well, that, is... I think it goes back to the word gravitas. Yeah. He has gra- That's a guy who walks around who has gravitas. You can't describe certain people as cool anymore. You know, I say this a lot. Like, I don't, I just don't think people really, that that's like a fair word anymore. That dude was cool. Yes. Like, it's just a cool, confident person i'm a, i work with a lot of people like that in tv that are a little bit older and like my producer is 60 looks like he's 40 just a tall good looking dude uh played basketball in college he was a hall of fame type of player in college at stanford and he just kind of walks around with this very confident cool way about him it's and there's not that many people that have and that yes. I'll, whatever comes my way i'm gonna be able to handle i've seen i've and, seen it all and done it right. and we only know him as a guy who's you know obviously a little bit older even when he was on Benson, he was in his 50s pretty much at that point, right? Because if it was in the 80s, you're I'm going really back having years. a hard time wrapping my head around how, I, how I, 
old he was at yeah. that point. It's like not. I know it sounds bad. Like he was old, but it's no, no, no. Just but that I know he what didn't you mean. Carry, he, like, yeah, he, d- he seemed like a younger man. Exactly. He seems like a younger. Exactly. Like when we watch, he seems younger than the age that he actually is. I think he probably kind of portrays a guy who's a little bit younger mm-hmm. on Sports Night than maybe a guy of seventy. I'm probably thinking of somebody who's in his late fifties or maybe into his sixties. I don't. I don't really picture somebody in their seventies, but he still has the air of a young man. As promised, as this episode goes on, we will sprinkle in some of your memories of Isaac Jaffe as a character. And we start with an alumnus of the Those Stories Plus podcast, ESPN producer Daniel Bramlett. When I think of Isaac Jaffe, I think my favorite memory is when he was talking to Dan about the Happy Birthday song. They had violated the copyright and uh, Dan's approaching him and... Tell him about it, and he's like, it took two people to write that song? Uh, Great line. Uh, And it's just funny to me because, obviously, that show inspired so many people to go into the the business, and, like, we all remember that scene, and uh, it became, like, a big deal. You know, everybody knew about it. Like, it's funny, and so it became sort of, like, an inside thing for people who worked in the industry to to all know, but so now it's funny to think back and think about how an executive of a show like that wouldn't know that that was a copyrighted thing, so... Rest in peace, Robert Guillaume, awesome guy, uh, followed a lot of his shows in his career, and uh, obviously a legendary character on Sportsnet. You want to get into some of your favorite Isaac Jaffe moments? Let's do it. Should we talk about it? I think so. This was a hard list It to was a very difficult list. And, and I'm curious about yours especially because I feel like you made a great point about how he hits both sides of the spectrum of funny and sentimental. And I, I always lean towards sentimental for me like yeah. when it comes to Isaac because those are the memories that really – hit me hard so i feel like that's where we might differ a little bit in our list but i'm really curious to hear what you have in your top i'm five. sure we're gonna have a little bit overlap well, we, we will definitely i'm gonna have i'm gonna present mine in, in no particular order because it'll be hard i think there's one it's the top of the list i've which i feel not, like has to be re- the universal let's not, let's we'll hold off on that it, one but let's save it if i if i'm thinking on the same plane as you let's save it for last because I, I have a good I feeling i'm fairly be. confident and most people already know what we're yes. talking about so let's go through the other four one of my favorite moments, and it's a small one in the grand scheme of things, is in the second season episode of Girl Named Pixley. Oh, great episode. Uh, Isaac has his treadmill in his office. He's kind of going through his physical therapy. Must have been some real-life physical therapy, too, especially if he went back to work after oh, really, for sure, I'm yeah. sure, only maybe, what, six weeks? Yeah, month, and, he's, and he, he makes references to it earlier in the season, in season two, about, oh, I walked on the treadmill today, yep. and that's part of the process of recovering from a stroke is not teaching your, reteaching yourself, but... Just kind of going back through the mechanics and using your muscles to get back into the mechanics of walking and running yeah. and all that stuff. I remember he even says something in one episode, like, I walked a tenth of a mile in treadmill. Yeah, like, exactly. It's just yeah. little it's, things, it's but just doing thing. it. Absolutely. So he's on his treadmill most of the, the episode, I think. Yeah. Just walking. And uh, people are coming in and out as they tend to do. And Jeremy comes in, I think, when he's trying to figure out who to thank in a speech for an award he might be winning. Yep. Though, spoiler, he gets boofed by Sally Sasser, I think is what <laughs> Natalie says. But uh, he's kind of making small talk with Isaac, and Isaac kind of doesn't want to have the conversation. I think he says, uh, you working on the treadmill? And Isaac goes, what makes you say that? <laughs> but he says, kind of just like to get the conversation going, Jeremy goes, if I crank that thing up to 10, would you just fly out the window onto Fifth Avenue? And one of my favorite Isaac lines is, yeah, but if I had my hands around your throat when I did it, you'd be coming out with me. It's just like his wit still being there, and he's so yeah. quick with the comeback, even after having been through everything you've been through. I just love that moment where he's just right on it. doesn't miss a beat. just gets right to, yeah, pull you out there with me. That was a really good episode for Isaac, though, too. Like, a girl, it's a girl named Pixley, so 
Casey's going out with Pixley, and he says, could they be any more white? <laughs> like, it's just, just the way it sounded. Casey is going out with Pixley, and uh, it's funny because I have a moment from the – I'll just – I'll jump and, and oh, piggyback please, you please. because I, I, have a, I have a moment from the same episode, in fact, from a girl named Pixley, and it's when Jeremy does find out that he did not win the award, and Isaac basically tells him, hey, you didn't win it because Jeremy's going nuts trying to decide, is he going to write a speech? Is he not going to prepare a speech? Right. Is it bad luck? Is it good luck? Whatever. And he kind of just tells him, like, it's okay. Like, don't worry about it so much. And Isaac asks Jeremy, you know what sucks? And Jeremy says, losing an award. And Isaac's response is, I was going to say not being able to dance with your wife. Mm. Because he tells a story. And it's a very subtle line. But he basically just says, oh, Esther is at the function they like to dance so she's staying late and he can't obviously do that right now so just the the precursor to it and then the delivery of that line it's a really sad one but it's a really good hey buddy have some perspective type of line right. and i really appreciated that definitely that is a, that's an excellent episode i can't wait to get to yeah, that one exactly actually. that is a very good episode hi my name is julie and my favorite isaac jaffe moment is season two episode 11 the cut man cometh I love the scene where Isaac is telling Dana to ease up on Dan and Casey. They are clearly in a situation where the ringside reporter doesn't deserve to be there and they're doing the absolute best they can. And that reminder from Isaac to Dana to lighten up a little, I need that a lot. I'm a high school newspaper advisor. We have a print newspaper, a website and a broadcast program. And sometimes I get a little... I get wound a little bit tight and I and I forget that journalism's supposed to be fun. And so I really love that moment when Isaac reminds Dana that journalism is supposed to be fun. I'll go to a, a sappier one that I have on my list as well. After he's out for five, six episodes probably, mm-hmm. the last episode of season one, what kind of day has it oh, been? Of course. When he returns, not just the return, which is one thing. Is that on your list, his return? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, so when he just comes in and goes, hey, lady, like when he yells at Dana because she's gonna, freaking, she's out, freaking out, about her out about her picture. about the camera and yeah. he goes, are you going to get my show on the air? And, and everyone's the hug just like, and the, the, you know, Isaac. Like yes. just her voice is cracking. It's a great scene. And obviously they have the he emotional moment. all that like tension in the room absolutely and then she and i know where you're going with this because i think it's on my list too she goes uh uh wait i'm gonna get a photo of all this and then she goes to tend to the camera and then he addresses dan and that's 100 percent on my list i know when he just says let me look at you boys you look good you look good you look too sir because because they're making fun of him right they're calling him like like six weeks (laughs) i think you're a bit of a cheese danish there isaac (laughs) a strawberry parfait and they're just kind of making fun of him a little bit, you know, very softly ribbing him. And then you see that that moment where he's like, give me a second here. Let me look at you boys. And he calls them – the, the yeah. fact that he calls them boys, like, like clearly these are my sons. Yep. Like these are like my sons. I've I missed just, you. I wanna, let me take a peek. Let me just kind of scan you up and down. I haven't seen yeah. you. Like you could just see the connection. And they're both kind of like – They both kind of straighten up right. a little bit. And, and he it's, goes, it's, you, you look good, boys. And, and they cap it with – so do you. So. Yes. It's like that moment where, like, the family that doesn't say I love you a lot but says it oh, in sure. other ways. For where, sure. like, they're not sappy. No one's like, Dana is sappy. Yes, very She gets sappy. emotional. Those two kind of just, like, we're, we're ribbing on them. We're playing the way we play. We're just, ma- you know, we're showing our affection in a different way. Of course. And that, that nice, soft moment of them just kind of, like, addressing each other. You look good. It's just, oh, I love that moment. So that's on both of our lists for sure, then. I'm going to go with episode nine from season one. The quality of mercy at 29k, and 
this always stuck with me. And I remember when we did this episode, I talked about that speech really sticking with me. But he's telling Dan Rydell about how he spends his money because Dan is, you know, trying to figure out, oh, do I give to charity? What do I do? Like, I have this income. I, I want to do something. And there's so many things to do. He can't figure out what he should do. And Isaac just says, Danny, every morning I leave an acre and a half of the most beautiful property in New Canaan. And he's talking about just how he gets to New York and he's walking over homeless people. So I reach into my pocket and give them whatever I've got. And Rydell says, you're not afraid they're going to spend it on booze. And he goes, I'm hoping they're going right. to spend it on booze. Look, these people, most of them, it's not like they're one meal away from turning it around. For most of them, the clock's running out. So uh, I think he said, they'll be home soon enough. Why not right. give them a little Novocaine to get through the night? And that always just hit me a little bit. Like, you know, it matches with what Casey says at the end of the episode. You're not going to solve anyone's problems. So just do everything that yes. you possibly can. And that's kind of one of those, I'm not going to turn this guy's life around, but let me help him out. I'm going to do can. something. That, right? that always stuck with me a little bit, even though it's, you're not trying to lift the guy up out of the gutter, but you're trying to make it easier for him to be there. Yeah. I think it's cool to see Isaac's perspective and especially, and it's, this can somewhat segue into my next one, but uh, in Dear Louise, when, when we get really his background, that's one of those big expository dumps. Oh, right, right. Where we talked about when, when you hear we about did his it. entire career. Right. Yeah. When, thanks to Jeremy's letter writing, we get all these details that otherwise would be hard to show on television. And we hear his whole, he started as a reporter and then he worked his way through this and so seeing that he had gone through quite a bit seen things he's got perspective on life and Absolutely. knows like you do what you can you 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 know make every minute last because who knows if this guy wants a little little swig of something to make him feel warm give him that because that's what you can do to help yeah it's a good one but speaking of dear louise another one of my favorite moments and i feel bad saying this now because without getting political we're in such a like my party or nothing oh for sure crazy world Certainly. right now but I absolutely love Isaac denouncing this guy that's been oh, sniffing that's around right. his daughter because he's he's, a, he's, he's like got a three point. He's saying all these yeah, nice things. He's the president David, of the yeah. Connecticut Young Connecticut Young Black Republicans, and he's like sixteen or seventeen. And that's the first thing I remember. This, yeah, that's the first thing he said. His name's Chad, right? Chad. He was and, just the. Oh, I got the whole quote right. Oh in front yeah, of me. hit me with this. He's complaining to Dana that my sixteen-year-old daughter is dating a Republican in her class named Chad, and Dana's like, sixteen-year-olds have party affiliations. But then he gives the whole uh, the resume, CV of him. Yes, yeah. he says Chad was just elected president of the Connecticut Young Black Republican Caucus. He has a three-point-nine GPA. He's co-captain of the lacrosse team. He plays the French horn, and he volunteers at a crisis hotline. And Dana says he sounds he wonderful. Sounds wonderful. He goes, yeah. Did you hear me, Dana? He's a Republican. <laughs> I just love the delivery of that. It's the most. Uh, like loud he gets at yes. very like throughout this whole series that's about as loud as he gets and it's even though it's early enough in the series that the laugh track hits pretty hard right after that that warrants a laugh track yeah. just because oh, very much the so. delivery is great and just seeing Isaac be so baffled and then he says the line early but I don't want them sniffing around my women <laughs> it's great and later on too when he says that he's going to build a, a dungeon and a moat and a moat he's so, he's so upset about it <laughs> it's just sort of slappy goofy Isaac which is just funny to see that and uh I think, I can't remember which episode we, we mentioned it in, but we had said that he felt most comfortable with the kind of short, yes. comebacky comedic lines, and that when he had some of those longer, serious moments, he wasn't super comfortable with them, but he still obviously knocked him out of the park. For sure. But I feel like that run and those lines are like right in his wheelhouse of sort of silly, funny, quick lines that, that he felt really comfortable with, and it's, it shows, because I love that. Did you hear me? He's a Republican! <laughs> He's a Republican! Throws his hands in the air. It's so good. <laughs> The apology, 
Uh, that conversation with Dan? That conversation he has with Dan mm-hmm. after he basically tells him in front of the executives, yeah, you're going to apologize, you're going to do this, you're going to take 30 seconds, you're going to knock it out, and then we're going to move on to the next thing. The line is, you know, do you think I should apologize? And Isaac tells Dan, no, but you're going to do it anyways because this is television and this is how it's done. And Dan responds with, well, yeah, sitting in the back of the bus was how it was done until a 42-year-old lady moved up front. And Isaac, calmly, because the executives are still in the room, says, well, be that as it may, that's, we're, this is how we're going to do it. You're going to take 30 seconds. You're going to apologize. We're going to move on to the next thing. The execs leave because Isaac kicks them out, basically. And Isaac's line of, I can say this to you because I love you. No rich young white guy ever got anywhere <laughs> with me comparing himself to Rosa Parks. And it's just, it's a really funny line in the context of Dan and Isaac. It, it is a, it's, it's got some humor to it. But it's in his delivery, it, there's, again, that gravitas, that, mm-hmm. that seriousness. And you can tell that when Isaac speaks, Dan, I think the next thing he says is, yes, sir. Yeah, he gets it right away. he gets away. it right away. Speaking of Isaac and the network, that one actually wasn't on my list, though. That is an awesome moment, so I'm glad we got um, we variety. We deferred a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I got two more, three more, including the one I think we're on the same page. But yeah. two more that I really want to talk about, both of which involve J.J., to an extent. Oh, great. So Isaac versus the network, obviously, he's got his kind of uh, his problems with Luther Sachs, and he's always facing that pressure, and how, is this going to be okay? Or does the show have good enough ratings, etc.? Two J.J. moments. One, right in the pilot. After JJ is uh, giving Casey guff and all, he's giving this, him the business, yep. and just the quick line, "Don't take me on," when he says that to JJ, yeah. just showing like, "Don't mess with me. I know what I'm, you know, I I know what I'm talking exactly. about. I yeah, know what yeah, I'm yeah. doing." Just shows his confidence in the job and and the way that he's not taking any any BS from anybody, especially Weasley, little JJ. Yeah, and that's episode one. Yes. So you already like, right away. Let's establish right away that this guy is not somebody you want to mess with. And then my my uh, penultimate moment for Isaac would be, and this is just a solid episode, and I'll, I'll throw this out there now, and we'll revisit it in about okay. 10 episodes or whenever <laughs> it happens to be, but when we get the other half of Philly H. Muffman. Oh, when, <laughs> fantastic. When Bill Macy shows up as Sam, the ratings expert, yep. I used to hate his character, but then upon watching it again and getting older, I think, for some reason, I love that character. Yeah, and I love too. especially his interactions with Isaac. And there's the one moment where... Isaac, who's recently, again, just returned. I think it's the second season, third episode. It's Cliff Gardner is what it is. Yeah, which is the third uh, episode. And he has just recently come back, and he just wants to go watch the color test, Isaac says. Like, I love television. I want to go watch the color test. Yes. Which, as far as I know, is just when they put the color bars on the screen yeah. to make sure everything is working correctly. Absolutely. So he just wants to go be a part of it. He wants to work in television again uh, and just not, you know, have everyone worry over him. So he goes in the control booth to watch, and... uh Sam takes JJ and a couple of other, I'm not sure if they have names, but a couple of other uh, people from, from upstairs, basically, and walks them out and gives them the speech the, about the Philo Farnsworth speech. and yeah, Cliff yeah. Gardner. And then he says, basically, like, you guys have no idea how to get good the people, talented people talented to work people. well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he gives them, he just rips into them and says that, look, I'm really good at what I do. I guarantee it's not because people like me. I don't care about being liked. Stay out of the way, and then he gives that great Sorkinism line with, "I will, I'll devote the rest of my life to, to ruining, ruining the, the rest, rest of, of yours. yours." Yeah, and then he walks into the control room, and sure enough, there's Isaac watching, been the, watching color test. the color test and the camera tests, and is like, "I just watched that whole thing go down." And Sam and Isaac's back and forth there, where Isaac says, "You should say that in front of them. Like, say it in front of Casey and Dan and Dana and everyone that's a little scared of you right now." And he goes, "That's not what I do." And 
Isaac's just delivery of, okay. Like, he just gets it. Like, he got it. Yeah. You're a professional. You're good at what you do. I'm good at what I do. They're good at what they do. We're focused on the job here. And I think Isaac just, A, understanding, I'm not going to try and push this guy. I'm going to let him be him. Yep. And just that very subtle moment where he's just, I just wanted to watch the camera test. I just wanted to see the color tests. I just want to be in television again. Yeah. Spoke a lot I wanted about to do Isaac something there. that involved television, right. which I, I, it's a great delivery. That whole episode when you finally turn in terms of your opinion on on Sam Donovan. And right. You realize, oh, he is on their oh, side. He's on their side. He's just doing it in a way to try to motivate them. And and then you get the little spots in different episodes where he'll like basically play reverse psychology and like, you know, get the guys to do what he wants them to do without really them realizing right. that that's exactly what they One of my favorites is the go whisper in their ear. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, and he steal he really subtly steals the script. Exactly, which is hilarious. And <laughs> I I really love. I'm with you on that. The interaction because there's such a mutual respect. Yeah, that's between it. Sam Donovan Isaac hired and this Isaac guy. Gaffey. He went and got him right, and it's that level of respect and that like, I totally trust what you're doing. I'm not going to be like, hey, go make friends. He just goes, okay, that's simple. And I just love that that shows the respect and it shows the knowledge and the the comfort with this is exactly what needs to happen right now. I think that speaks a lot to Isaac as the professional. Again, we appreciate your contributions to this episode, and Phoebe checks in with her favorite Isaac Jaffe memory. My favorite Isaac Jaffe moment on Sports Night is when he asks Jeremy, did you think I would fire you simply because you made a convincing argument? Um, It's in the hunting episode where Jeremy doesn't like hunting, and he makes a long speech about it um, after having to do the hunting show, and... Isaac is upset with him because he ended up in the hospital, but is also mad that Jeremy never told them in the first place how he really felt about hunting. And Jeremy's argument is that he wanted to fit in so that he would advance because he has a lot of college loans. And Isaac tells him that that's how usually people end up at sports night. And that's my favorite Isaac Jaffe moment. I think we all want to have a boss like him. My penultimate choice is from... Very early in the series, it is from episode three. It is from The Hungry and the Hunted, one of my all-time favorite scenes in Sports Night, where Jeremy you know, ends up going to the hospital and basically gets called in Isaac's office, and Jeremy is basically talking about how he's worried how he's not going to fit in or whatever. I know you talked to my old boss, and he basically gives him the line, not fitting in is how qualified people lose jobs. And Isaac's response which is just awesome, and I hope it speaks to the outcast and oh, all of us. I'm he so just says, angry that I didn't think of this one for my life. <laughs> he just says, yeah, but a lot of the time, that's how they end up working here. And it's like, mm-hmm. I, I just really appreciated that. And then the, the continuation of it this, is fantastic. This where, is the line that I love so much. Where, I mean, he's saying you have an obligation to tell us how you felt, because I don't like getting a phone call saying I put one of my people in the hospital, but mostly if you feel strongly about something, you have a responsibility to try and change my mind. Did you think I would fire you simply because you made a convincing <laughs> argument? It's taken me a lot of years, but I've come around to this. This is it. If you're dumb, surround yourself with smart people. If you're smart, surround, surround yourself with smart, smart people who, who disagree with you. With you. What oh, a great so good. line. I cannot believe that slipped my mind. I'm oh, so hurt but, by I that. mean, it's just a fantastic scene in general and the line and the way he just massages Jeremy in that moment says, you know, you may not trust us, but just know that we trust you. And then, you know, he's sitting by himself in Isaac's office and then he picks up the phone and calls Calls his his parents and and says, I got the call. And and it's just 
Oh my god, the, the that's little, so good. And good shows happen to do this, I think. They lead you in one direction early in say the pilot or in the first couple of episodes and then they slowly get you to a place where you're like, "Oh, this is what this character is all right. about." So you can get little snippets of it, but that's the moment where I feel like everybody realized this guy is the guy you you want. This is the archetype of what you want your boss to be. That's a hundred percent it. We've said before that like watching this show made you be like, "I want to work in a I place work like for that. This guy. I want a boss like that. I want an office like that. I want his coworkers like that. I want relationships with them like that." And he is just like, if you could find yourself an Isaac Jaffe, you're where you want to be. Like yeah. just his support. And he's even he's yelling at Jeremy, but he's yelling about like, "Why don't you trust us?" He's not <laughs> even like, "You did the wrong thing." No, he's just worried and concerned, and is like, "Look, you will." be great here if mm-hmm. you just give it a chance like yeah. commit yourself let the guard down a little bit yep. and just that welcoming opening oh that's so good i'm so <laughs> mad i'm not mad at all i'm glad no, no, it came no, up but i'm, I'm glad I'm, one I'm, of us remembered exactly but exactly. as you started singing i'm like oh my god how could how, I did, not? how did you forget it you fe- i i it was right there and and i just gosh it's such a just an amazing scene and where you really just kind of fall in, that's the moment i fell in love with isaac yes where i just go that's the guy i want to want in my life in some capacity oh my god that's so I'm so glad you brought that one up. Robert Guillaume actually said in an interview that this may be his favorite episode of Sports Night. I guess it's got to be the hunting episode where we send one we send one of our second stringers out to cover a hunting episode and he dislikes what happens so much that he gets nauseous and faints and Whatnot, and it gets back to me that he's had all this trouble, and so I'm just waiting for him when he comes back to give him a piece of my mind because he could have told me before that this upset him, and I wouldn't have made him go. I never knew he felt this way about hunting, but it was such a wonderful episode because Josh Molina had a had a monologue in there where he told me. Where he told me what happened to him. And in such poignant terms that uh, I had never heard hunting put down like this. But it was a tribute to uh, to Aaron's writing. And uh, Josh was saying that he saw the, uh, the little doe, the baby doe, and the mother and the father. And he said, what? That's recognizable to any species on the face of the earth as a mother, a father, and the child. And uh, he anthropomorphized the uh, deer family. He said one of the guys came to him and said, hunting was a noble sport and this, that, and the other. And Josh said, well, that was a lot of crap because when the Indians hunted, they did it for food and clothing and but when or when this particular on this particular shoot when it happened he said what we did was it wasn't for food and it wasn't for clothing and it wasn't for any tradition it was just plain mean i feel like you and i have the same final one it absolutely has to it's, be it it's it's got to be the six southern gentlemen that's it that's the one. one it is the most I'm, incredible I'm, monologue. I'm I've looking ever at the text right now, and we just said minutes ago that Robert Guillaume felt most comfortable with the short lines and the funny lines. And I'm looking at the quote on my computer screen 
It is huge. Like that's a straight oh, up a monologue. That's a straight up monologue. And he Absolutely. Delivers, he is. puts on those giant '90s gold rimmed glasses, <laughs> and he gets he down to business. Be in chips. Oh yeah, he's he's just like, <clears throat> and I'm go these these solar shades basically. <laughs> you could, and, and he, he's like, let me get down to this. It is such a powerful speech. It is such a a well delivered speech. It's just like. This guy stands for something. Yeah. And he's taking, as we knew in the in the narrative of the of the show at this point, he's taking a big risk and sticking his Huge. neck out yeah. and standing up to the guy who could like easily snap do, and fire his, him and yeah, be like, You're and done. done. And he's like, I'm standing up, I'm gonna put him in the spotlight and say, Luther, you got some phone calls to make. Stop sending him checks. This is wrong. I'm standing up for something I believe in. It's so good. I remember when we did this episode, we talked with Nicole Auerbach who uh, I just saw she actually sent us a little bit, of me- uh, a little oh, uh, hey. voice memo. So we'll play that Excellent. as well. And and we were so happy to have Nicole on because she had done so much covering a lot of the things that were discussed in that episode. I have watched the Isaac monologue in Six Southern Gentlemen of Tennessee. I don't know how many times, at least fifteen, and I get chills every single time because to me, this is the perfect Isaac moment. And this is the standard that I kind of hold all news editorial comments to. When I'm watching CNN or a morning show and someone goes off on a monologue or a little rant, it's never going to live up to this ideal version of that because it's so eloquent, it's so well-worded, and it's so angry, but it contained anger and its target with going after Luther Sachs. Nothing really compares to this. And I just think to myself how dialogue this biting could have changed the conversation around Colin Kaepernick and some of the anthem protests. Because to me, this is so timely. We've seen the states that have the Confederate flag be banned from hosting tournaments and taking down that flag and getting to host sporting events again. We've seen the anthems spread like wildfire in the NFL. And it's a timeless message. And I just don't think anyone else can say it any better than Isaac did in this moment. So I will end by just repeating his message. Exaudio comperio con locor. To listen, to learn, to speak. And hopefully we can all speak as eloquently and listen as intently as Isaac. It's just incredible to see how an issue like that continues to be so overwhelming in terms of its impact on a lot of people, even to this day. And maybe that's hitting me a little bit, but I just, even if you take that away, even go back three years and we didn't really worry about the flag protest now in football, this is still just an incredible piece of writing and acting and delivery. And there is a level of, I'll say it again, I'll use that word, I'll say gravitas. This moves you in many ways because of the person delivering the lines the way they did. Absolutely. And it's, I mean, it, it speaks even in the world of the show when after it finishes and Dan is just, I could kiss you right now. Like, everybody is just <laughs> You bring it, boss. Blown. Yeah. yeah there, there's, everyone's so proud of him and so amazed. And then immediately the phone rings and Kim says, Luther's on line one. And, yeah. and he just goes to face the music. Like, he knows this is coming. I'm making this choice. And he just carries himself with such confidence. Dignity. And no, Dignity. And, and they know... I think Casey reminds him or something like, hey, we're, we're right there for you, boss. Like, we are. It, it shows the team as well. And it's just such a well-delivered. I mean, are you, do you have it pulled up on your computer? There? I do, yeah. It is enormous. It's a long, and For long a guy paragraph. who likes to be the comic relief and the snappy comebacker, to sit down and, and deliver that as well as he does is, is truly 
a, a credit to his acting. And so, oh, man, it's just so good. Finally, our friend Tim checks in with his favorite Isaac Jaffe memory. I mean, the easy pick is the return from the stroke because it was such a classic, like, Robert Guillaume actual life moment. It was It was really incredible. But I think my favorite is the speech about the Confederate flag at Tennessee Western where he talks about to speak, to listen, to learn as the motto of the university and how it um, plays into the situation. And it just felt so relevant. Even I, I rewatched it the other day, and it felt so relevant to what's going on today with Kaepernick and with all the um, racial division in the country right now that something that created was created a decade ago has such relevance was a tribute to Sorkin in the show and, and Robert Guillaume. And I'd also like, as I have the quotes from that episode pulled up, I'd like to mention one more little quick funny one. Sure. When Dan, he says, Danny, I need to talk to you. And Dan says, good, because I got to talk to you. Who should go first? And a great Isaac line as well, since I don't really care what you have to say, I think it should be me. <laughs> Which is well, just, it's just, that's, that goes again to show that's probably minutes before that speech. And he's able to, to just turn it on and turn it off. The funny and serious and so well that it's, it's, it's every possible aspect and every emotion wrapped yeah. into one. Well, I don't really care what you have to say, so I think it should be me. That's a 343-word run Oof. that he has to go through. So it's a pretty long monologue that he has to deliver. And maybe part of it, too, is just the episode itself. That's a Christmas episode, and we know what Aaron Sorkin's penchant is for really delivering and all of his shows on Christmas episodes. So obviously that, maybe that has something to do with it. But the way Casey ends the episode, remembering the names, and that's mm-hmm. the episode Janelle Maloney was on, and and uh, there's a lot of sentimental value in that whole episode, but it's highlighted and enhanced by this particular run. I'm glad we accidentally gained a consensus on the best ep- <laughs> the best uh, moment. I, I don't there. think it should be that shocking, really, because I know no, for a it's... lot of people that watch this show and love this show the way we do, that's probably something that sticks out as much as any. If you were to think of a moment, that would be the moment. I'm actually thinking back to the end of that uh, first season finale, What Kind of Days Have Been Again, where the photo, when that gets taken, right. and everyone kind of crowds around and poses with Isaac, that Dana is, like, squeezing his hand so hard. <laughs> she's, like, she's, so, she's, like, kind she's of on, in a bear on, hug. She's like on Casey, she has Casey on one side, like, holding him, yeah. and has, has Isaac on the other. And she's just holding <laughs> on to that hand. She is so happy that he's back. Yeah. And I feel like that's what's really cool about the fact that they wrote his stroke into the show is that you know those actors were missing their friend. Oh, and yeah. you know that they were missing sure. their coworker. And then when he comes back, I, I part of me has this like romantic idea that like they kept Robert Yam offset until that moment. <laughs> oh, so he could come in. Imagine? I yeah, wonder if that like so I, cool. I, that would be amazing that that was actually the first time they saw him come back to I'm sure it's not true. Be. I feel like they rehearsed I, I feel like it'd these be too things to death. Almost, and yeah, right? everyone would freak out, but I, I picture it, it was like that was the moment because it's such a genuine reaction from everybody as well to be like Isaac's back. He's back, and, and he's just oh, it's just so good. Uh, it's though I I, th- I think we chose well. I think uh, those who actually checked in with us, uh, I'm sure they'll choose very wisely as well, and they'll I'm have excited and they'll have some moments listeners. that we forgot about or we didn't think of or weren't in our particular top five that we're gonna go. Oh my god, that's such a great moment. <laughs> it's just a really really great character. It really is one of the one of the favorite characters I've had watching television in my life. That I'm having moments of being Jack Black and High Fidelity when they're doing the. Top five songs about death. <laughs> and then he says, The Wreck of the Eminent Fitzgerald. He goes, Oh, you son of a bitch. That's <laughs> so good. That should have been mine. <laughs> like, that's what I'm thinking is I keep hearing more moments that I didn't think of. Like, oh, that's so good. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, like, I mean, we've already had those reactions between the two of us, and, and rightfully so. Just 
this is such – I mean, there's a reason we're doing a podcast about the damn show, first off. And the fact that we enjoy this character so much and a lot of other people do as well speaks to how well it was acted. It's one of those characters where you go, nobody else could have played – that role mm-hmm. and done nearly as good of a job as Robert Guillaume did for that character. And I'm, I'm just grateful we got outside of his entire body of work. We got these 40 episodes of near perfect TV yeah. with such a great character that you, he, it's going to live on at least through his work and through the legacy of, of what he left behind. So it is sad that he's gone, sure. but I'm, I'm happy we got to reflect on him and we still have plenty of time to see him going forward with uh, the memories. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's end this, baby. This is I'm so excited to get back into it. I want to keep talking for like hours now. Well, but. we're going to get to uh, our next episode will be season one, episode 19. One of the best episodes, I think, of the whole series. And I would it's agree. when it really gets introduced to us that Isaac is, is not going to be here for a little bit. And it's Eli's coming. Eli's coming. I almost, I have... The Three Dog Night album, Golden Biscuits, which is like their greatest hits. I have have the, because I have the single. Well, I have the record. I found it for like 10 cents. Oh, no kidding. That's awesome. And I was going to cue it up to be playing when you walked in today just to be like, (laughs) you guys here, baby. But then I feel like I'd be calling you an inveterate woman. Well, I mean, that wouldn't be the first time. Next time. Next time I'll cue it. I just spoiled the surprise. No, it's all good. (laughs) Uh, How great was it to get back? This was awesome. Uh, we're so happy to be back, and we really, again, appreciate everybody that sent a message or a tweet or an email. Keep doing so. Keep getting involved. We really appreciate uh, the fact that you guys listen so much. And you know what? If you do have a Robert Guillaume, Isaac Jaffe memory, just keep on emailing yeah, them, and we'll, we'll maybe sprinkle them in uh, as uh, as the rest of uh, the season goes Absolutely. forward. Absolutely. Reach out for any reason, honestly. We both are like get so excited to hear from <laughs> listeners. And never, ever worry. We've got a lot of messages about people like, are you guys, did you quit the show? No, no, not We don't have any plans to quit the show. We just, we take some of these Like I said, Steve's breaks. a homeowner now, and that's, oh. that's a whole thing, and uh, and we're, I'm just getting towards the tail end of football season now. So We're, we're finally kind of getting to breathe a little, and exactly. we'll revisit it. So do not worry. We, we will always be here. In fact, we'll be here again pretty soon with Eli, so look, about, look forward for that. In the meantime, you can, again, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher. We're available on Podbean. You can go to our website, thosestoriespod.weebly.com. You can email us at thosestoriespod at gmail.com, and you can tweet at us as often as you'd like at thosestoriespod. So until next time, I'm Steve Cimino. I'm Adam Amin. You've been listening to Those Stories Plus. Exaudio, comperio, conloquor. That's a Latin phrase that translates to listen, to learn, to speak. Those words are carved into the stone arches that form the entrance to the undergraduate library at Tennessee Western University. This afternoon, an extraordinary young man named Roland Shepard made what had to have been an excruciating decision. He said he wasn't playing football under a Confederate flag. Six of his teammates then chose not to let Shepard stand alone. And I choose to join them at this moment. In the history of the South, there's much to celebrate. And that flag is a desecration of all of it. It's a banner of hatred and separatism. It's a banner of ignorance and violence and a war that pitted brother against brother. And to ask young black men and women, young Jewish men and women, Asians, Native Americans, to ask Americans to walk beneath its shadow is a humiliation of irreducible proportions. And we all know it. Tennessee Western has produced some outstanding alumni in the last hundred years. People of wisdom and vision, strength and compassion. One of them is Luther Sachs. 
Luther Sachs owns Continental Corp, which owns the Continental Sports Channel, which you're watching right now. Luther Sachs is a generous alumni contributor to Tennessee Western with a considerable influence over its chancellor, Davis Blake, and its board of trustees. Luther, you've got a phone call to make. You've got to call Chancellor Blake and tell him to take down that flag or he can stop looking for your checks in the mail. You've got to put these young men back in a classroom, and I mean pronto. These boys are going to make you proud one day, Luther. I challenge you to do the right thing. Not an unreasonable request to make of a man whose alma mater declares exaudio, comperio, conloquo, to listen, to learn, to speak. In the meantime, God go with you, Roland Shepard, and you six southern gentlemen of Tennessee. God's not done with any of you yet. That was our managing editor, Isaac Jaffe. We'll be back.